big chunks of concrete raining down onto my vehicle. This man's concrete close call after dodging debris from a passing transport truck and the warning to other drivers. Plus, we have had eight consecutive weeks of disruption. A different approach to policing planned protests to prevent a so-called Freedom Convoy group from occupying BC's capital. And injured ones like that being put down, it's a humane thing to do for it. A sea lion found shot and in critical condition prompts renewed calls for stricter marine management enforcement. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. A BC man dodged a hailstorm of concrete on Friday when a commercial truck and its overheight load struck an overpass on Highway 1 in the Fraser Valley. It's not the first time this has happened in recent months, and as Kristen Robinson reports, the driver in the latest incident fears someone will get hurt or killed if no one is held responsible. This busy section of Highway 1 in Abbotsford, the scene of a very close call on Friday afternoon. The whole situation was, was very dangerous. Steve Rabchuk was driving westbound in the right lane under the number three road bridge when a transport truck carrying a concrete wall passed him. We've got a piece that big. Two chunks of concrete hit his windshield, one of them smashing through a side window and landing on the back seat. There's one. But that alone... Is enough to hurt somebody going 100 kilometers an hour. BC's transportation ministry confirms a truck with an overheight load struck the overhead. Yeah, definitely there was uh, a lot of potential for someone to get seriously hurt. Um, there was baseball-sized chunks of concrete uh, coming down. RCMP say the semi-truck driver did have a permit in his possession. Commercial vehicle operators are responsible for ensuring their loads meet the terms and conditions of the permit they've been issued. He was concerned, he was apologetic. It's not the only commercial vehicle that's made its mark on area infrastructure. In the last 12 months, the ministry has noted four similar incidents in the Fraser Valley of transport trucks carrying overheight loads and accidentally striking overhead bridges. We're talking about a 15-foot high concrete slab. Um, you know, when it hit the bridge, the straps securing it came off. Um, and if it had fall over, that would have been certain death for whoever was around. In this case, the bridge did not sustain any significant or structural damage and, according to the ministry, is still safe to travel on. Global News has reached out to the transport company involved. All over the side of the truck. As Rabchuk picks up the pieces from a shattering commute, he's fortunate the damage wasn't deadly. You can see where the concrete was coming down and going tung, 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 and hitting. Somewhere along the line, somebody needs to be accountable. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Police on Vancouver Island are taking steps to prevent so-called Freedom Convoy protesters from occupying BC's capital city for weeks on end. Starting today, Victoria's James Bay neighborhood is limited to local vehicle traffic only. Police have set up controlled access points in preparation for planned upcoming protests. Anyone wishing to protest can enter the area on foot, by bicycle or on public transit. In a video posted to social media, police say the controlled access points will remain in place as long as they're needed to ensure public safety. We have had eight consecutive weeks of disruption involving motor vehicles using air horns, including modified ship horns and train horns, 
and slow roll blockades that have had a significant impact on the health, safety, and well-being of the residents of James Bay and those in the BC Legislature area. We are not allowed to drive in, no. We are being detoured by these fine officers here that we supported for the last two years while the left wanted to defund them. We're resilient, we're Canadian, and we're peaceful people, and we'll walk. Victoria Police remind the public that safe, peaceful protest is protected under the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, but occupation is not. Unlawful activity will be met with de-escalation and enforcement. Officials in Ottawa expect the three-week-long occupation of their downtown core earlier this year to cost the city close to $30 million. Police say alcohol may be a factor in a serious crash in Coquitlam last night. The collision happened at Alderson Avenue and Blue Mountain Street just after 6.30 p.m. Friday. The area was closed for hours as officers investigated the scene. Witnesses tell Global News a vehicle was spotted leaving the scene, but police have not confirmed a hit and run. The investigation into the cause continues. In Abbotsford, a cyclist was killed after being hit by a vehicle Friday afternoon on McCallum Road near Switzer Avenue. He was rushed to hospital but later died of his injuries. The driver of the vehicle stayed on scene and is cooperating with police. Anyone who witnessed the crash or has dash cam footage is asked to contact Abbotsford Police. And Burnaby RCMP say just before 6 o'clock this morning, officers responded near Lougheed Highway and Bainbridge Avenue after two vehicles collided. Both had front end damage and their airbags had been deployed. Three people suffered non-life-threatening injuries. Police believe one of the vehicles may have crossed the center line. The cause of the crash remains under investigation. Kamloops RCMP are investigating a suspicious death after a body was found inside a vehicle. A police vehicle sits at the crime scene on Monterey Place near the Trans-Canada Highway. Police were called to the home late Thursday evening to what they call a suspicious occurrence. When they got there, officers found the body. They have not said whether it was a man or a woman. RCMP say they're waiting on the results of an autopsy to confirm the victim's identity. The serious crime unit is investigating. Now to a particularly disturbing discovery in Kitsilano Beach on Friday. A sea lion in obvious distress was found washed up on the rocks. As Paul Johnson reports, the Vancouver Aquarium says the animal likely ended up in those dire straits after someone opened fire on her. And a warning, the following story features disturbing images. It was a heartbreaking scene at Kitsilano Beach Friday both for those who discovered the wounded sea lion and for those who came to treat her. Pretty obvious that uh, she was in, in really, really poor condition, didn't want to open her eyes, quite skinny, poor mentation, very, very lethargic, very weak. Martin Helena is the head vet at the Vancouver Aquarium, where she's now being treated. He says she's a juvenile sea lion, probably two or three years old, who has been shot in the head and lost an eye. Helena suspects she suffered for some time before turning up on the beach. Well, it's terribly sad, and I I hate to see animals uh, being treated this way. Jordan Reichert is with the Animal Alliance of Canada. And while it's unknown who shot the Kitsilano sea lion and why, there's an ongoing pattern of seals and sea lions being targeted in the Salish Sea. 
there are people uh, on the water generally. Um, fishermen often uh, view seals and sea lions as pests and, uh, you know, competing with them for herring or salmon or what have you. Well, the Department of Fisheries and Oceans reminds us that killing or harming seals or sea lions is illegal. <laughs> oh, that was awesome. The man who threw a bear banger at the seals in this video got a big fine. There's a segment that believes those rules are silly and that what's actually needed is a massive seal and sea lion hunt. They need to be removed so that we can start protecting the salmon properly. Thomas Seward is the president of Pacific Balance Marine Management. Their Facebook page makes it clear where they stand on the issue. And he says he has a lot of support from fishermen and First Nations people like himself. We First Nations are unstoppable. Step aside. We will protect our salmon because they're being exterminated, equivalent if not greater than the extermination of the great buffalo herds of the Great Plains by the overpopulation of seals and sea lions. And come hell or high water, we're going to correct that wrong. As for the Kitsilano sea lion, Helena says she's in critical condition and being treated with antibiotics and painkillers. And it's way too early to know if she can ever be released into the wild again. In Vancouver, Paul Johnson, Global News. Now to a quirky impact in Kamloops of the ongoing supply chain issues. Unfortunately, in 2021, we weren't able to do our fall painting program. Stop lines, lane markings, pedestrian crossings are all looking rather faded this year. It's all down to problems getting road paint. Normally, Kamloops paints the lines twice a year, but there's a shortage of paint, so the city has had to make do with what it has, putting down small thermoplastic squares to show where road markings will eventually go. It's still a struggle, but we have secured uh, some product and we are able to you know, begin painting here uh, in the first week of April. So we have secured it and our, our contractor that paints the long lines, uh, they have also secured some paint. So it, it's still, there's still some risk, there's still uh, some concern around the, the whole supply chain, but we do have product and we are ready to, to apply that in the coming months. The city says it's facing particular problems on roads that have just been repaved. And the supply chain issues created by the pandemic and exacerbated by the war in Ukraine now have a Vancouver nonprofit making an urgent plea tonight. Our Community Bikes operates a program that refurbishes old bicycles and gives it to those in need. The problem is there aren't too many bikes being donated. Kamal Kermali reports. Brian Donahue's bicycle does a lot more than just get him around. Yes, I do. I live on it. It carries everything he owns. I have tents, bike parts, if anything happens, and clothes. For other members of Vancouver's vulnerable and marginalized population, it often stops them from spiraling into drug abuse and depression. It's changed my life. I go out and I ride. I feel well. I do well, I sleep well. And helps them kick their life into a higher gear. To potentially get a job, to get access to social services, to, um, to get out there and get connected to the community. So getting a bike can actually 
really change someone's life. But the program that provides those free bikes has been thrown a wrench. Our community bikes has been relying on donations, used bikes that the team here fixes up and hands off to those who can't afford one. But recently, fewer donations have been rolling in. Bikes have been in very high demand, uh, increasing demand over the last couple of years. Gas prices now resulting in people avoiding the pumps and pumping up their bike tires instead. Inflation has also left the store deflated. Bike parts skyrocketed more than 20% over the last year. The wait time for a used bike has doubled from three months to six. Al McEachern has been waiting since last summer for a bike and walking has made for a tougher ride. Really, really tough because I miss doctor's appointments if I got to go to the hospital or something like that. I never make it on time. Now he's peddling a plea to the public. Please donate used bikes to help some of the city's most vulnerable steer towards a better life. Kamal Karamali, Global News. Coming up after the break, reaction from a woman in the room. I personally sent formal letters to all the boards and councils that he sat on, calling for his immediate removal. The BC CEO on leave after a sexist remark at a tourism conference and how he's responding. Plus, celebrating a community's new beginnings after the demolition of the Lower Post Residential School. The CEO of Fairmont Hot Springs is in hot water after comments he made at a recent tourism and hospitality conference in B.C. He started by trying to honour women in light of International Women's Day, only to end up insulting women. Kimberly Davidson has more. The excitement of attending a big industry conference soon turned to shock for many attending the BC Tourism and Hospitality Conference in Richmond, BC. The chair of Thai BC opened the conference and about five minutes in, he asked all the women to stand. Um, he said some words around International Women's Day and celebrating women in the industry and everybody clapped. And then when the applause died down, he said, OK, now go clean rooms and do dishes. And he laughed at us. The chair of the Tourism Industry Association of BC, who said those words, is Vivek Sharma, the CEO of Fairmont Hot Springs Resort and a board member of the BC Hotel Association. He apologized later. So not quite then and there. He apologized a little bit later, but he did it as a joke. He said that it was because there's bureaucrats in the room and he wanted to highlight the staffing crisis. And he laughed it off. The BC Tourism and Hospitality Conference organizers were quick to release a statement of apology, calling the comments insensitive, hurtful, inappropriate, and deeply upsetting. First thing Monday morning, I personally sent formal letters to all the boards and councils that he sat on, calling for his immediate removal. Later, Sharma released his own statement through the BC Hotel Association's industry update, confirming that he had stepped down from both the industry boards he was a part of and offered his heartfelt apology for his serious indiscretion. More than a week after the original incident, the board of Fairmont Hot Springs Resort also made an announcement that Sharma has been placed on leave and a third-party consulting firm has been hired to conduct an independent review. As for Notman, she, along with other friends and colleagues, are continuing to work on what must be done. Smashing the patriarchy. Kimberly Davidson, Global News. 
B.C.'s premier met Indigenous leaders and residential school survivors this week to commemorate the demolition of the former residential school at Lower Post near the B.C.-Yukon border. The final chapter of the Lower Post Residential School documents a gathering held last June in the Cascadena community during the ceremonial demolition. John Horgan and Deputy Chief Harlan Schilling joined others to screen the film on March 17th. The Lower Post Residential School operated from 1951 to 1975, impacting thousands of children and families. The community was forced to use the former school building for essential services until funding was secured last year to tear it down. It will be replaced with a new $13.5 million community centre. It was a dark cloud over our community for my entire life. 35 plus years, uh, the chiefs, the community, the survivors have worked to tear that building down. They may tear down that school, but the memories and the trauma still is with us. And um, it stole our identity, our language, our connection with our family, our mothers, a lot of things. And then it's generational effects I may be walking around today, but it affected, I, because of my stay in residential school, I affected my kids and my grandkids. So there's a lot of healing that needs to be done. The new community cultural center will be built by the Deludena Council in partnership with the federal and provincial governments. The new building is expected to be complete later this year. And we understand these stories may be distressing for viewers and there is support available for survivors and their families. The number is toll free and available 24 hours per day and you can speak in confidence. It is 1-800-721-0066. And coming up, a property with personal purpose. How a BC couple is rethinking their renovation to help as many Ukrainian refugees as they can. But first, Russia claims to have used a hypersonic missile in Ukraine for the first time. What it means next. To the war in Ukraine, Russia is slowly advancing on multiple fronts. And now, for the first time since the invasion, Russia has fired hypersonic missiles, destroying a southern military ammunitions warehouse in Mykolaiv near the Black Sea, killing dozens of soldiers. Global's Mercedes Stevenson is in Lviv with the latest. Hypersonic missiles are a new kind of weapon that could change the face of warfare. And we now know that Russia is using those weapons in Ukraine in combat for the first time, a claim first made by the Russian military and verified by American officials to U.S. News Network. In a briefing on Saturday, the Russian Defense Ministry revealed it used the hypersonic Kinjal missile system, claiming a strike destroyed an underground arms depot of missiles and aircraft ammunition in the town of Delatin, located about 100 kilometers from the border with Romania. The destruction of the depot could not be confirmed. Hypersonic missiles are a new kind of threat. Ballistic missiles that move extraordinarily fast, at least five times the speed of sound. A flash of light and destruction. Their extreme speed, precision and maneuverability, even mid-flight, means they are highly effective at striking targets and difficult to defend against with existing air defense systems. That's made them desirable weapons in a global arms race for countries like the U.S., China and Russia, seeking to shorten the time adversaries have to react to a potential strike and increasing their accuracy. The Kinjal missile used in Ukraine means dagger in Russian. It was first introduced by Vladimir Putin in 2018 to showcase Moscow's military superiority. 
As recently as last December, Putin was again bragging about Russia's hypersonic capabilities, calling them world-leading. Russia claims the missile system can travel at Mach 10. That's 10 times the speed of sound, or 12,000 kilometers an hour. These claims have not been independently verified. The Russian missile system has a range of 1 to 2,000 kilometers, but that can be extended because they're fired by military jets. And while there's no doubt that the use of a hypersonic missile is a showstopper, experts say it's also likely showmanship, as much a psychological weapon as a tactical one. Putin's war in Ukraine has been struggling, and experts say he likely wants to show a message to the West about his military strength and capabilities. The danger is that Putin, uh, the sociopath, may well try to use uh, other weapon systems to try and uh, club the Ukraine defenders into submission. I don't think it'll work. But uh, you and I don't think the same way that he does. Here in Lviv, where cruise missiles struck yesterday, life continues. And while there's live music and crammed cafes, there are also soldiers in the streets with guns and air raid sirens. As people of Ukraine brace for Vladimir Putin's next escalation in both his weapons and his targets. Mercedes Stevenson, Global News, Lviv. The Ukrainian president warned today. Russia is blocking desperately needed humanitarian aid from reaching Ukrainian civilians. Supplies of food and medicine are running low across the county, country, even in areas that have so far avoided Russia's wrath. That includes Odessa, Ukraine's third largest city, which is widely expected to be one of Vladimir Putin's next targets. Global's Jeff Semple reports. Russia's push into parts of Ukraine appears to have stalled. But its military is choking Ukraine's supply chains, according to the country's president. Appearing in another defiant video, Volodymyr Zelensky said Russia is trying to starve civilians into submission. The stark choice now facing ordinary Ukrainians stay and risk dying from fighting or starvation or leave. But for some, that cost is also unbearable. This has fast become a heart-wrenching routine. Since the invasion, regular rail service is suspended, but every day these free trains arrive to take women and children who want to leave out of the country. Anna and her eight-year-old daughter came to catch a train to Poland, even though it means leaving her husband and her mother behind. We couldn't wait any longer. We have to go where there's still an opportunity but we're leaving with a heavy heart, she says. Ukrainian men are required to stay behind and fight. This crowd is full of families who may be seeing each other for the last time. As the train arrives, there's a scramble to get on board to secure a spot, leaving no time for a proper goodbye. Many, like Anna's husband, linger outside the window as long as they can, savoring every last moment before the train carrying their wives and children pulls away. But many residents of Odessa remain, trying to carry on even as Russian forces inch closer. We are doing our best, trying to live a normal life, he says. On a sunny Saturday, the city's main market was packed. Odessa's largest jazz club is closed because of the war, so the musicians performed from the balcony. People need some bright light during all this stuff. Russia has more soldiers, a much bigger military, but Ukraine's spirit feels insurmountable. Jeff Semple, Global News, Odessa. 
back here in B.C. now, where someone has made their feelings clear by defacing a pro-Ukraine mural in the metro town area of Burnaby. The original message read, Stand with Ukraine, with the colors of the Ukrainian flag and a sunflower, Ukraine's national flower. But someone sprayed their own message in red, changing the mural to read, Down with the Ukraine Nazis. Russian President Vladimir Putin has repeatedly invoked the Nazi to justify his invasion. The mural's original artist saw the graffiti in the middle of the night and rushed out to cover it up. It was like late night uh, after I fell asleep. I sometimes wake up in the middle of the night and I looked out my window and I saw that someone had defaced the artwork. And I instantly, after what I saw, they wrote. Um, First I took a picture of it for evidence and then I uh, did my best to cover it up because what they wrote was too obscene and it would hurt a lot of the Ukrainian people in the neighborhood if they saw it because this is artwork has been here for two weeks now and people have constantly been coming here telling me thank you for doing this. Burnaby RCMP confirmed they're investigating the case and are reviewing video from evidence from the area. A B.C. couple is trying to help as many Ukrainians as they can using their dream property they just purchased. Brian and Sharon Holowaychuk purchased the Grouse Nest Resort in East Souk last June. They had planned a large renovation project catered to their needs, but shortly after Russia invaded Ukraine, Holowaychuk, who has Ukrainian heritage, felt compelled to help Ukrainian refugees. They've since changed their plans now to accommodate as many Ukrainian refugees as they can at the resort. The first phase of the renovations will allow for 20 people to live there. He adds this shift in the resort's purpose is personal. Both my grandparents came over from the Ukraine when they were children, so I've been here a long time, but I've got a youngest son living in the UK that's got a a girlfriend from the Ukraine that... uh, her older sister's actually in the army with her husband and they're they're fighting Russians right now. So this whole thing was personal for us. And- to health matters now, the province of Quebec appears to be headed towards offering a fourth COVID-19 vaccination and it's expected to be made official next week. Health Minister Christian Dubé says the National Director of Public Health is expected to announce a second booster shot will be offered for certain vulnerable people, such as those who are immunocompromised. The new vaccination campaign could roll out during the summer. Vaccination campaigns have been carried out by age groups in the past from oldest to the youngest. Vancouver Coastal Health is warning the public about an increase in norovirus cases connected to people eating raw oysters. The health authority says more than 50 people since Monday have been affected by acute gastrointestinal illness such as stomach pain, diarrhea or vomiting after eating the raw shellfish. Norovirus has been confirmed in some of those cases and it's suspected in others. Affected harvest areas are being closed and will reopen when contamination is cleared. To avoid catching it, Coastal Health recommends cooking oysters thoroughly, not eating them raw, avoiding cross-contamination, and eating shellfish immediately after cooking. And coming up, surviving being stuck at sea. Took a look down below and discovered I was taking on quite a bit of water. How this shoe swap man got stranded for several days and who saved him. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. It's a very windy area in northern Columbia. A shoe swap man's harrowing ordeal. 
how he was rescued after being lost at sea for several days. That's coming up after the weather. But right now, let's bring in meteorologist Yvonne Shell for a look at that forecast. It was actually, it was quite nice out there today. <laughs> yeah, it was a bit of a mixed bag. We started off with wet weather this morning, but then we saw some breaks. It's been breezy out there. We've got a time lapse that was captured by our very own Pat Bell, just to show us what the day it's kind of been. Uh, but there were a few breaks in there, and we actually have a little bit of instability that's kicking up once again, but hope you got out and enjoyed that. That's a gorgeous shot that was taken by the water. So thank you so much, Pat. What it looks like right now, though, uh, we've got the sunset this evening. Temperatures are currently sitting at 9 degrees. A southwesterly wind at 20 kilometers per hour. But here's the instability. So we still have the chance for some showers, a few isolated thunderstorms. Hail is possible across Metro Vancouver. And we've seen a few lightning strikes just pop up there, just between Abbotsford and Chilliwack. So a heads up, all areas along the south coast will be seeing that instability and there's that risk of a thunderstorm. Now, the big weather story that we'll be following is the system that is going to move in. It'll bring us moisture and we are seeing the return for some wet weather in the form of rain. Now, overnight tonight, still a chance for some showers. Temperatures will dip down to three degrees. For tomorrow morning, on and off showers. The heavier rainfall is actually going to start to push in as we get in towards the evening for Sunday and continuing to see periods of rain on Monday. So there's that wave of moisture that is going to move in towards the evening hours. We could see anywhere between 15 and up to 25 millimeters and then it continues in towards our Monday. So a soggy start. Tomorrow is spring equinox, so we are seeing that officially or welcome spring officially in the morning at 8.33, but it is going to be a soggy one through the day. Now, heads up this evening, we still have snowfall if you're traveling along the mountain passes. The Sea to Sky, as well as the Allison Pass, on and off flurries, Rogers, Coquihalla, as well as the Kootenai Pass, five and up to 10 centimeters, especially along the Kootenai Passes where we can see higher amounts, and then it should start to ease off. On and off flurries for the day, mountain passes between two and up to four centimeters. Wet flurries along the coast with temperatures sitting at six degrees. Most areas for the central interior, it's an increase in cloud cover. And then the southern interior will see a similar weather picture. Some bright spots for the morning hours, more cloud cover through the day. The potential for some precipitation starts to pick up towards the evening. And Whistler could even see a few flurries in the morning and then changing over to the chance for some showers. Along the south coast, Metro Vancouver, so in the morning hours, we are looking at showers picking up. The heavier rainfall is going to start to develop, especially as we get in towards the evening hours. Breezy at times tomorrow with gusts of up to 40 kilometers per hour and wet and windy for Monday leading in towards next week. But we should have some bright spots or drier days as we look ahead towards our Wednesday, Thursday. Nithu? And officially spring. Officially spring tomorrow. <laughs> Not going to feel like it just yet, but it's oh, on the way. Good to know. Thanks, Yvonne. Well, now to a harrowing story of a shoe swap man who was lost out in the Caribbean Sea for nearly two weeks. Darian Matassafung has details of his ordeal at sea. Don Cavers, a 77-year-old Blind Bay resident, has quite the tale to tell about his misadventure in the Caribbean Sea. What originally was supposed to be a leisurely sailboating trip from Colombia to Puerto Rico to meet his son quickly became an emergency as the second night out at sea brought four and a half meter waves, which quickly flooded Caver's cabin. Once I realized where I was taking on water, then, you know, while still in survival mode to get the water out of the boat, uh, I knew I wasn't sinking. Cavers was able to get the water out of the cabin. However, the next morning, all of his electronic equipment was ruined, which included his satellite phone, his cell phone, an iPad, and his navigation books. You have no way of knowing your actual position, your speed, the distance you've covered. Uh, I know the direction I was going. For the next 36 hours, Cavers said he had to hand steer his boat heading roughly north with a wonky compass. 
On the morning of the fifth day at sea, the third with no electronics, Cavers was able to get his autopilot back online, allowing him to get some much-needed sleep. However, around midnight, his emergency turned into a disaster. Got an abrupt awakening uh, when I hit a reef. It turns out the reef Cavers collided with was close to Cuba, nearly 1,400 kilometers from where he began his voyage. I thought I was going to get off the reef, but uh, something tore a hole in the stern. Uh, it started taking on water pretty fast. Cavers says he then grabbed a few items, including an emergency beacon device, a bag of chips, a large jug of fresh water, and hopped into a life raft, leaving the sailboat behind. Winds quickly blew him back out to sea, where he then floated for six more days, surviving off the chips, the water, and tiny fish he was able to catch with a makeshift net. During those days, Cavers figured out his beacon signal was not working properly. He fixed it, then heard a sound he will never forget. I was, I guess, dozing, and I heard a ship's horn. This 225-meter ship pulled up right beside me and dropped a rope. A merchant ship had been redirected by the U.S. Coast Guard, Canadian Mission Control Centre and the Joint Rescue Coordination Centre as soon as his emergency beacon began working. The blind bay sailor says he learned many lessons from the near-death voyage, one being to make sure all electronics are safely protected against water. He says it would have been a lot quicker of a rescue. Darian Matasafung, Global News. Wow, what an incredible story. Glad he is okay. Um, incredible stories, I'm sure, coming up in sports as well, Squire. Yes, you <laughs> are correct. Oh, actually, the Canucks are playing tonight. Uh, They're playing both games, uh, both weekends, both days. I'm sorry, I'm confused. They're playing tonight and tomorrow. <laughs> so we'll talk about tonight's game. We'll even mention tomorrow's game. And we'll talk about some other things because some of the teams the Canucks are chasing one today. Okay, sounds good. Looking forward to that. Thanks very much, Squire. Also ahead, the Paralympic pay gap. It's definitely a barrier for a lot of people that would get into competing that aren't able to because they don't have the financial backing. And how the success of the athletes is being overshadowed by inequality for medalists. Children cannot learn when they are hungry. Food insecurity also affects their mental health. That's why Global News and the Grocery Foundation are partnering for Toonies for Tummies and nourishing children in countless communities. Donate today to Toonies for Tummies in-store or online. Well, they've overcome adversity and inspired Canadians from coast to coast. But as Canada's Paralympians return from Beijing, the athletes are looking for equality and recognition for their efforts. Nicole Stilger explains. A warm reception for Paralympic champion Lisa Dijon. Very happy to be home. We had a great time in China, but there's nothing like coming home onto Canada soil. The para snowboarder captured silver in the women's event in Beijing. We brought home the first ever medals for Canada for para snowboarding, so that's pretty exciting to be making history. As rewarding as her experience was, there's a sore spot. Super disappointing not to get the same compensation as the Olympic athletes get. Obviously, we work just as hard. Canadian Olympic athletes get $20,000, $15,000 and $10,000 for winning Olympic gold, silver or bronze medals, respectively, awarded through the Canadian Olympic Committee's Athlete Excellence Fund. Paralympians get none. Dijong says having that extra money would be a game-changer for many Paralympic athletes. There's a lot of extra expenses on the para side with adaptations and 
the CPC and the athletes are currently working to bring more visibility to that and change it. Ça ne justifie pas ce traitement inégal. Also advocating for change, Chantal Petit-Claire. She's one of Canada's most decorated Paralympians with 21 medals. Now a senator, she spoke about her own experience with the pay inequity. She said it's easy to say the Canadian Olympic Committee has more resources than the Paralympic Committee, but that doesn't justify the unequal treatment. Many other countries like the U.S. and Italy have closed the gap. Petit-Claire asked Mark Gold, the government representative in the Senate, to correct it. Gold responded saying he's ashamed he didn't know about this discrepancy, but will look into it. It's definitely a barrier for a lot of people that would get into competing that aren't able to because they don't have the financial backing. And Dijon is optimistic change is ahead. We are hoping for the Games in four years in Italy that it's going to be different and it's looking like it's going to be. Nicole Stilger, Global News. All right, coming up, Squire's back with a full sports cast after this break. And later, the perches protecting eagles. How tall poles are helping save the birds of prey and the problem with putting them up. Enjoy the springtime in Asoyus. Celebrate the first annual Asoyus Spring Music Festival happening May 4th through 8th, featuring a variety of performances from artists of all genres, including Kenny Blues Boss Wayne and indie rock group The Yule Brothers Band. For info, follow Asoyus BC on social media. Join Global BC in supporting hashtag Toonies for Tummies, an initiative benefiting student nutrition programs for kids in our community. Donate today at your local participating grocery store or online at grocerystore.com. If you want to know, it's on the house. If you want to show, it's on the house. If you want to go, it's on the Global BC Community Hub. Navigate your now. All right, Squire's back for the full sports cast and tracking the Canucks schedule. What are they up to? Well, they, uh, they have a very busy weekend and they will have Calgary visiting tonight. And then tomorrow night, the Sabres will show up for a game at 7 o'clock at Rogers Arena. And Thatcher Demko will be the starting goalie for tonight's game against Calgary. Daniel Villar will likely start for Calgary because Markstrom played last night. We'll see if maybe Markstrom might want to go against his old team. And even though Bruce Boudreaux wouldn't say if he will make Sunday a day of rest for Thatcher Demko, this answer gives you the sense that Demko will play both games this weekend. Um, when you're talking game 60, you're talking you have to win. So, I mean... You play, you play to win every night. And if, if somebody was to come up and say, I'm too tired, well, that's one thing. But if someone says, I'm fresh to go, that's a different thing. As long as you still got a chance to, uh, to make the playoffs and, and you want to win every game, that's my focus is to win. Well, the Oilers are on a roll now. Today, looking for their fifth straight, and they were taking on the Devils. They were up 1-0, but Jesper Bratt will tie it here. Nice move on Koskinen to make it 1-1. However, Commander Vander had a good game. Evander Kane, two goals. He now has 12 in the year. This on the power play, it would make it 4-3 for the Oil. And then 49 seconds later, Zach Hyman makes it 5-3. So it's pretty much game over. Connor McDavid had three points. Rough game for referee Reed Anderson. This is late in the third. Leon Dreisaitl just fires the puck behind his own net, but he catches the ref right in the face. 
There is blood. He apologizes. Ref says, don't worry. It's all good. Kings and the men in the golden helmets, the golden knights. And after losing five straight, they've now won two in a row. Chandler Stevenson with a power play goal from Jack Eichel. Matthias Janmark with a shorty here. They allowed 38 shots from the Kings, but they won the game 5-1. So they're now five up in the Canucks, but Vancouver does have two games in hand. Two big trades in the NHL. Deadline is Monday. Claude Giroux is going to Florida. The Philadelphia Flyers get Owen Tippett. He's a good prospect, good young player, and also a first-round pick in 2024 as Florida tries to uh, bulk up for the playoffs, thinking they are a Stanley Cup contender, and they are. Boston also bulking up, but this time on the blue line. They got Hampus Lindholm out of Anaheim, and apparently they might sign him to a long-term contract this weekend as well. A lot of draft picks going to the Ducks in this one, including a first-rounder in 2022. Adam Hadwin, second after two rounds of the Valspar, which he won five years ago, gets himself in a bit of trouble here, but then gets himself out of trouble. This would set up a par. Didn't get a lot of birdie today. This is a birdie on the 11th hole, but he parred all the other holes in the back nine after this birdie. He's now fifth, 13 under par, five off the lead of Davis Riley. Look at this shot from the sand by Riley. Straight out, straight in. Didn't even bounce. Right in the cup, 18 under par. He has a two-shot lead. Adam Svensson, seven under. Nick Taylor, six under with one round to go. Up to Prince George, Women's World Curling Championships in Kerry Einerson's rink. Three straight Scotties representing Canada. Already stole two in the first end. And is getting ready to steal three in the second end. Because Italy is going to run into a Canadian guard. So Canada wins its first game 9-2. Speaking of Canada, Damian Warner of London, Ontario, who won gold at last year's Olympic decathlon, won the heptathlon, seven events, in the indoor world championships today, which is the first time he has ever won gold in that event. Formula One starts tomorrow in Bahrain. They had the uh, qualifying today and Max Verstappen qualified second fastest. Lewis Hamilton was fifth fastest. The guy who won the pole, Charles Leclerc, winning the pole for, for Ferrari. First time Ferrari's won a pole in an opening race since 2007. Canadian Lance Stroll qualified 19th. Nicholas Latifi, also of Canada, qualified 20th. And finally, Mikhail Kingsbury, the king of bumpy mountains, won the dual moguls event in France today against his Good buddy Akuma Horashima of Japan. With that, he wins the dual moguls title. He already won the moguls title, and he wins the overall moguls title. Truly king of the mountain. And there you go. Got to have the toughest joints for that, hey? <laughs> Thanks very Knees much. Knees like Clark. pistons. No kidding. All right, we will be right back with a plan to protect eagles in the lower mainland using poles and perches and how you can help. There are still questions that need to be answered here. This was a high-risk, high-reward strategy. So we wanted to set the record straight. But at the end of the day, we talk. And where we talk is right here at CKNW.
Well, a campaign is underway. Hey, Squire, are you with us? I am. I was watching. I was looking at the monitor. <laughs> Fair enough. You're chill on the couch. As I was saying, a campaign is underway to try to get new perches built on the lower mainland to help the eagle population. Some of the trees where the eagles have built their nests, like some in Delta, are in danger of coming down, which then endangers any eaglets being born. The trees can be buttressed, but those with the David Hancock Wildlife Foundation, which focuses on the protection of eagles, say that just delays the inevitable collapse. What they say has worked is erecting tall poles that the nest can perch on, as seen in these photos. But the problem is that they're too expensive here uh, because I say these artificial nests are great, but they're a little bit, uh, they're $25,000, cherry picker, telephone pole, manpower, etc. But uh, they've had a very good measure of success where David has, uh, has laid them out. They're in the ground there and uh, they have a lot of lasting power. They won't fall apart like these dead trees. They're at a good height and they're located in an appropriate place uh, determined by David's so as not to be too close to people and having, uh, of course, they need to be not far from the water because eagles are repaired. They eat fish. And for more information on how to help, you can log on to the Hancock Wildlife Foundation website at hancockwildlife.org. All right. And speaking of the great outdoors, <laughs> spring is officially upon us tomorrow. But as you mentioned, it won't feel like it, Yvonne. A bit of a soggy start. Uh, spring equinox officially at 8.33 tomorrow morning. Uh, we are going to see the rain picking up, but it'll be showers for the morning, heavier rainfall towards the evening. A bit breezy at times over the next couple of days, so a heads up there. But we do have some breaks on the way and temperatures will get into the double digits later in the week. All right. Looks great. Thanks very much for that, you too. And thank you all for joining us. Krista Dow will be here at 11. Have a great night.